This video is sponsored by Fide, a Catholic technology alternative to big tech companies. Fide provides email, calendar services, file, and collaborative options, forms for individuals, families, businesses, parishes, and nonprofit operations. Check out the link in the description box for more information. Late on Monday, Rome released a letter to the various bishops, chastising them for taking the Synod of Synodality, trying to essentially take it over for their own weird purposes. It was a pointed letter aimed at the German bishops and those who think like them. A surface reading of the letter with no context makes it sound almost refreshing, except for the letter openly calling for a permanent ongoing revolution in the church led by the bishops and laity together. It's a bizarre letter that has two real purposes. First, to lay the groundwork for the burying of the pre-Vatican II faith forever, once you understand what an ongoing laity-led revolution would be, and the second being the purpose of allowing Francis to pivot himself as the moderate voice between the radicals in Germany and elsewhere and the conservative and tra traditionalist bishops. Francis will place himself between the two of them in an illusion of being moderate. And I say it's an illusion in practice because Francis is the master of playing both sides in the dispute of one against another. And his end proposal in 2024 will continue to show that like he did with the Morris Letizia and the Pan-Amazon Synod. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to read the letter for you in full. Instead, I'm going to go over its highlights and just give you direct quotes from the most important parts of the letter, while simply explaining what the rest says. And if you want to read it for yourself, I'll have it in today's show notes over at returntotradition.org in today's show notes again. The letter is so full of hippy-dippy language of the new religion that you'd probably go into diabetic shock from all the sugary language if I did read the full thing directly. So let's just dive into it. So the first part of this that I want to highlight is an admission from Cardinals Grish and Hollerich that the Synod of Bishops is not a historic feature of the church. I know you're, you're shocked that this wasn't going on in ancient times. They admit that the whole thing was invented by Paul VI after Vatican II, complete with papal document citation, and Francis is continuing his work of making the church a more synodal church. They quote Paul VI directly, who said his intentions were to empower the local bishops to more effectively run the local churches, and that the synod of bishops can be improved over time like any other human institution. Again, to paraphrase Paul VI. Now, it's actually kind of a big admission because one of our major complaints of the synod of synodality is that it's a purely human invention and has no real anchoring to the history of to the historic church. Yes, there have been synods throughout history, but not synodality not running the church through meetings of bishops as small versions of ecumenical councils, except without the sort of historic binding nature of an ecumenical council. And that is precisely how they've been run since Paul VI. We've had synods going back to Paul VI every two, three years. It was a fabrication of man foisted upon the church, which is actually why it gets pretty funny once we get to the next part. The cardinals, writing on behalf of Francis, make no mistake here about this, the cardinals are upset that some bishops and others are foisting upon the church what they want to see through the synod. The various, various bishops are trying to use the synod of synodality to force changes on the church. They're not part of Francis's program. If you're new here to return to tradition, I've long predicted that Francis would make it look like he was the great moderate in this whole synod of synodality mess, that he would use traditional and conservative Catholics on the one side, and the Germans and the Flemish bishops and a few others on the other side, as well as, you know, 
anybody who doesn't just go along with the program. He'd place himself in the middle. He would make it look like he was taking a moderate position while actually pushing for radical changes in the church, just not as radical as what the German bishops want. And I keep bringing them up because the Germans have their own synod going on, and it's a hot mess. In that mess, they advocate for things like normalizing the James Martin sin, ordaining women, and all sorts of other just weird stuff. Francis will still do something radical, but he'll make himself look like a moderate in the process. It helps to sell the change. It's an old Peronist tactic from his time in Argentina, which you can read about in Austin Ivray's book, The Great Reformer. If you can find a first edition of the book used somewhere like on eBay or something, because future editions, subsequent editions, had all the Peronist stuff removed because it revealed way too much about Francis and how he does things. But here's where the Cardinal really exposes themselves and what they and Francis are doing with the Synod on Synodality. From their letter, quote, On the eve of the Continental Assemblies, we feel the urgency to share a few considerations for a common understanding of the Synodal process, its progress and the meaning of the current Continental stage. There are, in fact, some who presume to already know what the conclusions of the Synodal Assembly will be. Others would like to impose an agenda on the Synod with the intention of steering the discussion and determining its outcome. However, the theme that the Pope has assigned to the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops is clear. Quote, for a Synodal Church, Communion, Participation, Mission. This is therefore the sole theme that we are called to explore in each of the stages within the process. The expectations for Synod 2021-2024 to are many and varied, but it is not the task of the Assembly to address all the issues being debated in the Church. Those who claim to impose any one of them on the Synod forget the logic that governs the Synod process. We are called to chart a, quote, common course, beginning with the contribution of all. It is perhaps superfluous to recall that the Apostolic Constitution, Episcopalis Communio, transformed the Synod from an event into a process, articulated in stages. This means that it is, since its solemn opening, typo in official Vatican document, nice, in October 2021 in St. Peter's, the Synod has been addressing the development giving the theme, first in the stage of consultation of the people of God, and then the discernment of the pastors of the synods, councils of the churches, sui juris, in the bishops' conferences, and now in the continental assemblies. It is precisely because of the intrinsic relationship between the different phases that other themes cannot be surreptitiously introduced, thereby exploiting the assembly and disregarding the consultation of the people of God. End quote. Sugary language. Kind of ambiguous in some ways, but here's what it means. In other words, stick with the program. The program has been pretty clear so far. Let the local churches, starting with the local parishes, hold their synodal listening sessions, where the laity, select laity, by the way, get to voice their opinions. Then dioceses have their session. Then bishops' conferences have theirs. Then you get a continental meeting of bishops. Each one of these steps has shown the same result. The laity demand that the church liberalize her teachings on the uh, James Martin sin, you know, that weird sin that the world and James Martin just have a weird interest in, as well as addressing the role of women in the church through either ordination or some other meaningful changes to how the church has always done things. And the laity also want the church to reject 
Paul VI's only really good document, Humanae Vitae. Other changes have been called for very consistently all around the world. This is a little de-democratic moment in the church by design. What Francis does with this, though, is anyone's guess, but I expect you will see movement on the James Martin sin. Francis has been afraid lately, signaling that since as much in really in the last year or so, and really since the beginning of his papacy, remember, who am I to judge, he wants to change the church's teaching on that in some way. Now, what Rome doesn't want are bishops' conferences or dioceses going it alone, like the German bishops have, or like how the Flemish bishops have been threatening to do with their weird mass setting they designed to bless James Martin-style secular unions, which Rome has consistently said in recent months the church cannot do. At least we cannot have a sacramental version. But the program is clear. Stay with the universal church and let the process of change happen across the universal church as one. It's more of Francis's unity message because he knows this whole process is so dicey that it could lead to schism. Now, part of this unity is maintaining control over the local churches. If Paul VI's document allows for bishops to have more independence, Francis is reining them in, and not in a good way. Not in a traditional way, but in keeping with his vision for the church. The next paragraphs remind the bishops that they must act as one with the church. And they are frankly told to take the continental synthesis documents back to their dioceses and to their parishes and to reflect on them and what they can teach the local church. It's really kind of a bunch of Novus Ordo speak about dialogue and a listening church and being guided by the spirit and accompaniment and group hugs and all the rest of it. And it all communicates to the bishops that they are to fall in line with the synthesis documents, which have all those changes I've already outlined above hinted at, though not to what extent, and certainly it won't be to what the, the extent that the Germans want. Now, the next part here is concerning, but the language is kind of dense. What it says is a promise for the church to move forward with a laity-driven permanent revolution through this new vision of synodality. Under Paul VI, it was bishop-driven, which was, which at the time had been labeled a number of things, including the condemned error of collegiality. You also sometimes see it linked to conciliarism, these other kind of condemned ideas that the council formally endorsed. And it says that the bishops as a body are on equal or near equal footing in the church with the Pope. That was how it was before. Now, synodality appears to mean that the voice of the laity bears real weight in what we profess as a church. That's just a fancy way of saying democratize the church, folks. From the letter, quote, This is why we trust that the continental assemblies, the voice of the particular churches, will resound again with even greater strength through the synthesis carried out by the synods slash councils of the churches, sui juris, and by the national episcopal conferences. The more we grow in a synodal style of church, the more all of us as members of the people of God, faithful and pastors, will learn to feel cum ecclesia, infidelity to the word of God and tradition. Besides, how could we address pointed questions, often divisive, without first answering the great, great question that has been challenging the church since the Second Vatican Council? Church, what do you say of yourself? The council's long journey of reception leads us to affirm that the answer is in the church that is, quote, constitutively synodal, where all are called to exercise their ecclesial charism in view of carrying out the common mission of evangelization. The current synodal process is showing us how this is possible. 
by virtue of its participation in the prophetic function of Christ, the holy people of God is the subject of the synodal process through the consultation that each bishop carries out in his church. In this way, in fact, one can truly listen to the, quote, entire body of the faithful, who, anointed as they are by the Holy One, see First John chapter 2, verse 20 to 27, cannot err in the matters of belief. See Lumen Gentium, paragraph 12. The College of Bishops, which, quote, is also the subject of supreme and full power over the universal church, provided we understand this body together with its head, the Roman pontiff, and never without this head, see Lumen Gentium, paragraph 22, participates in the synodal process in the following two moments. First, when each bishop initiates, guides, and concludes the consultation of the people of God entrusted to him. And second, in the successive stages, when the bishops together exercise their charism of discernment in the synods slash councils of the churches sui juris, in the Episcopal conferences, in the continental assemblies, and in particular in the synod assembly. Analogously, and with regards to an ecumenical council, it is the prerogative of the Bishop of Rome, who is, quote, the perpetual and visible principle and foundation of unity of both the bishops and the faithful, see Lumen Gentium, paragraph 23, to convoke, preside over, and confirm the synodal assemblies, end quote. Synodality is a roadmap of permanent, unending change in the church. It's a roadmap for burying big, traditions of the faith that so many find so divisive and mean. It's a roadmap for never being able to return to the way that the Catholic Church was before Vatican II. That is the real aim of synodality. The typical lay Catholic who we, till recently, we were told was badly catechized, is now the one going to be driving the church. Catholic prophecy, by the way, a number of places, talks about an evil council in the church that would enthrone the ape of the church the false church of prophecy, reducing the Catholic Church to a temporary remnant while the false church runs around calling itself and being accepted as the Catholic Church by the world and most of the laity. That would be temporary, as our Lord would intervene through chastisement of some kind, probably some sort of very over-the-top material chastisement that basically starts civilization over again. And it's a consistent theme we've seen from numerous different mystics over the ages. And now that's what it looks like is being foisted upon us. It's insidious, and frankly, it's a genius way of burying the faith if you're the one trying to do it, but it will fail because the Catholic faith is the real faith, and this synodal nonsense is just a secularizing force to try to foist a fake version of the faith upon everyone. Now, the letter ends with Gratian Hollerich talking about the bishops as a sacrament of unity, which is more nonsensical Novus Ordo language employed to get them to fall in line. How many of them will actually do so is anyone's guess, but I suspect most of the bishops will fall in line, and the handful of better bishops who typically resist, if they don't, they will be removed from their dioceses by force, if need be. It's already happened once in Puerto Rico, and it'll happen again. But I'm curious what you think about all of this, so let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. As does sharing this on social media, that helps a lot, too. If you want to read that letter for yourself, it's at returntotradition.org in the show notes for this video. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.